never write an ad or promotion that your landing page can't cache. You can see what the top 10 pages are on your website, but should they have been the top 10 pages on your website? Google's solution to this problem of negative SEO and bad links coming into a site was the disavow tool. Welcome to the OMCP Online Marketing Best Practices Podcast, where top authors and industry leaders share authoritative best practices in online marketing. All right, welcome back to the OMCP Podcast, and with us today is Talia Wolf, founder and chief optimizer at Get Uplift, author, speaker, and thought leader in conversion optimization. Talia, welcome to the OMCP Best Practices Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Now, Talia, we know your agency is Get Uplift. We know you speak on and teach conversion optimization on some of the most prestigious stages in the world. We know you're a skydiver with over 1,000 jumps. For, for those of you who haven't <laughs> your blog, followed you on Twitter, or heard you speak, tell our audience something we don't know about you and what it is you've been working on lately. Oh my God, there's nothing no one knows about me. I'm like an open book. Uh <laughs> Um, what don't people know about me? I love Harry Potter, but I think people know that. And other than that, I have two kids under three, which I was just confessing to you that I'm basically sleep deprived. Um, and what am I working on right now? I'm actually working on some super cool client work and opening enrollment for my new course, The Income Engine. Yes, and we're going to include a link for that here in the podcast and make sure listeners have a chance to get training from you. Talia, I, I mean, obviously, it's impressive that you've jumped out of perfectly good planes for a while. A few other questions for you just to find out more about you. Dogs or cats? Dogs, 100%. <laughs> SEO or paid? Hmm. Uh, SEO. Bitcoin or Ethereum? <laughs> I actually have a terrible story about that about Bitcoin. So about, I think it was six years ago, my husband said that we should buy one of the mining machines and we should do it. And it was like nothing. And we should spend like $5,000 and buy this whole thing. And I said, are you crazy? $5,000? We're not doing that. <laughs> so And now Elon is an endorser. We're seeing it go through the ceiling. But who knows? You know, people listening to this podcast a year from now may be laughing and saying, you did the right thing. So who knows, right? All right. So Talia, you've helped some of the world's largest businesses improve their landing pages, their funnels, their e-commerce. You're considered an authority on conversion optimization. We certainly follow you. It makes sense that on this conversation, we're going to cover how marketers can understand the essentials in developing that skill in conversion and apply it to a project. So our first question for you, let's say that you are hiring a conversion optimization specialist for your agency, Get Uplift, or for a project. What are some interview questions that you would use to determine their skills in conversion? That's a great question. Um, I think that I, the first question I would ask is what is your process? What process do you go through in order to come up with hypotheses for testing? And I'll explain because many times I get clients or potential clients reaching out to me saying, you know, I got a proposal from someone and they're promising a 20% uplift or they're promising an X amount of uplift. And the first thing that I say is never, ever 
trust a, an agency or a company that says that they're going to deliver a certain amount of uplift. What you want to see is the process. What you want to know is how they do the work itself and that it actually has depth to it. Understood. So what's your process? And you want them to describe this to you. That's quite telling in their skill set and their history. What would be another question you'd ask a candidate to assess their skill? How much do they know about human behavior and human decision-making? Because that is key to understanding how people buy. I know that most people think that when it comes to conversion optimization, you're supposed to be focused on changing a call to action button or a headline on a page. But what conversion optimization is really about is understanding how people make decisions, whether if it's to buy something or if it's to sign up for a free trial or book a demo. You have to understand what is the decision-making process people go through in order to create an experience and an entire customer journey that helps that person make a decision. So while it is important for your CRO agency or your consultant or freelancer to understand stuff like Google Analytics or Mixpanel or heat maps, it's so much more important for them to understand people, emotion psychology and decision-making. And what are some ways that we as conversion practitioners can get to know our customers and understand some of their motivations for taking the next step in the process? Well, one of my favorite parts of doing this is basically doing customer surveys. But there are many different ways because it really does depend on where you are as a company. Customer surveys, visitor surveys, review mining, social listening, interviews, so many different ways that you can speak to people, listen to what people are saying and reflect that back to them within your journeys. And one example that shows up in the uh exam for conversion optimization is to understand how to use quantitative or survey data versus some of the anecdotal or interview data that we can get actually talking to customers. If I'm in a conversation with a customer, maybe one thing I'm looking for is the way that they describe the problem they're trying to solve, the words that they use, and maybe put that back into the advertising or into the words on the landing pages. Are there some other things that we can pick up when we're really in a deep conversation with a customer? Yeah, 100%. So that is definitely one of the most important things. But other things you can definitely uncover when you're doing interviews or surveys are hesitations, roadblocks, things that are stopping people from converting things that may be stopping people and sending them to your competitor. So understanding the pains, the hesitations, those concerns and roadblocks is actually a great way for you to know what you need to address on your landing pages or on your website to convince people to convert. You're a big fan of thank you pages. You talk about it. It seems like somebody <laughs> brings it up. So, and specifically you put them out there as a method to enhance trust. 
What are some practices that we should all be using when it comes to thank you pages? You know, the go-to with um, thank you pages is that they don't exist. So I love that you have categorized me as an advocate for them because I really am. <laughs> um, most, most landing pages or websites, you get people to convert and it kind of simply ends with this note saying, you know, go check your email. But thank you pages can be leveraged, as you mentioned, to build a relationship with people or to even increase your conversions. So one way of leveraging thank you pages is actually placing a survey on the thank you page. You see, the thank you page is actually um, really, really helpful because of a psychological trigger called foot in the door technique. So essentially, once someone has already taken an action with you, they're far more prone to actually take another action with you. So to go back to your question about, hey, how can I learn more about my customers? You can do that on your thank you page. You can ask them questions on the thank you page. You could ask them to share something. You could ask them to review what they, the process they just went through. You can ask them to tell you more about themselves, what they're looking for and what their goals are. You could do all of that on a thank you page. And this has got to enhance the trust and the relationship through interaction. They've taken one step. Let's say they've gone out on a date. Now it's okay to ask for a second one or just get that trusted feedback from them in a survey. Yeah, 100%. And also what's very helpful is that using the data is going to help you to then customize and personalize emails for them. So then you can send better information to them, more valuable content to them, and that in turn builds the relationship. Okay, let's move on to what we call low dispute practices, things that any conversion practitioner should know cold. Now, these are things that end up on the exams or in the competency standards. Our universities and training partners must teach them. Talia, I handpicked a few, um, and you can say pass. If you don't like them, we can move on. But let's start with um, how should a practitioner establish company goals related to conversion? In other words, let's map them back to something that's important to the business. What's a process for doing that that you've seen work? You know, what my go-to here is actually establishing a North Star goal. And what that means is that when you're looking at that goal, that is the one goal of the business. Maybe it's sales, maybe it's signups, maybe it's three accounts, whatever it is. But more importantly than setting that goal is actually taking it apart and thinking about how this goal serves your customers. So great, it serves you. You want to get more sales, but how does that serve your customer. And that's why when I, whenever I'm setting up goals with my clients, I'm always thinking about the middle goals and the goals along the way that are serving my customers. So how am I actually delivering value, achieving their goals, my clients, my customers' goals, so that ultimately I achieve my North Star goal? Insightful and something that we can bolster the standard with as well. Thank you for that. In terms of bicycle stages and mapping those to persona, can you give us some practices that you've seen work or the ones that you've seen not work? 
I'm going to need you to unpack that for me. What That's do you mean? Okay. So if we're looking at biological <laughs> stages, in other words, uh, some people might have uh, interest, attention. There's several different ways to map those. Um, and in some cases, we know that we need to map those particular stages to distinct persona that we've developed for our customers. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes, a persona who's late in the stage may have some different needs and interactions, whereas somebody who's in the interest stage may have a completely different set of needs. Right. So I actually really like dividing people according to stage of awareness. So the different five stages of awareness. And depending on their stage of awareness within the customer journey, creating the content that they need to hear. Sometimes these people are completely unaware they have any type of pain, and it's my job to bring it to their attention. Sometimes I'm going to use content to move people who are solution aware, meaning they're actively searching for a solution, but they're not really sure which one is right for them to product aware, meaning aware of my client's product. However, I do want to say that I know that personas are kind of the go-to of most companies, but you do have to make sure that these personas aren't just categorized as behavioral elements, but more on the emotional, psychological side of them too, which is why most times when we're coming up with hypotheses for A-B tests, we're thinking about the unique selling proposition. We're thinking about the different types of people, the jobs they're trying to get done from the job to be jobs to be done framework, and the stages of awareness. So all this to say is that I don't really look at it as there's just one way of doing that, but there's multiple different layers that you need to look at. The job they're trying to get done, the persona, the emotional state, the stages of awareness, and where they are in the customer journey. And adding emotional state in there is something that's really, really useful, and you can be extracted from our conversations with our customers as well. Tali, you mentioned that some of this can be fuel for A-B tests. One of the questions that shows up on the exam has to do with, what do we do when an A-B test shows inconclusive results? It's flat. It's just even. It's boring. There's nothing that's definitive. What's the next step? Well, you know, the question is, first, how long has the test been running? How many conversions has each one of these variations seen? And where is the test living right now? Are you testing this on a very important page with a lot of traffic, a lot of attention, a lot of conversions? Or is this a minute part of the funnel that doesn't, you know, doesn't have a huge impact? My go-to is if we've run the test for at least three weeks, each variation has seen over 150 conversions and we're still seeing zilch basically, is to stop the test and reconsider, okay, what can we do that's different? Or let's review, are there any bugs? Is there anything that's, that isn't working? Let's go back to our hypothesis and figure out what was the problem that we were actually trying to solve and did we actually find a solution that addresses the problem that we actually found? And in the case of a low uh, volume, let's say it's a B2B with a big sale and our funnel is very slow process, would you recommend 
the time that it runs to be a complete bicycle? What are some other ways of making sure that we have some statistical significance, even if we have a slow moving process? You know, I think one thing to remember is that conversion optimization isn't just about A-B testing. It's a lot to do with the research that you're performing and getting to know your customers better and their goals. And sometimes it's not a good idea to run an A-B test if you don't have enough data. However, I will, whenever I run a test, I will definitely run it for at least three weeks so that each variation gets to go through a cycle of two days or three days at the same day. And I try and get as many conversions as possible, as mentioned, 100, 150 conversions per variation to know that enough people have gone through that process. If you don't have that amount of data, if you don't have enough traffic or enough conversions per month, I myself would put more of my focus on doing heuristic analysis, on doing profiles of customers, of analyzing different messaging and unique selling propositions and doing it in a different way that isn't necessarily A-B testing. Talia, what are some ways that a digital marketer can stay up to date? There definitely are resources that I follow um, a lot and I follow them due to the testings, the testing, the tests that they run and conduct and the hypotheses and their in-depth guides and I, I guess breakdowns and templates. Um, the first one would be Copy Hackers by Joanna Weeb. It is hands down the best resource on the web for copywriting, especially if you want if you want to write conversion copy. Um, my other go-to would be CXL. I love Conversion Excel's uh, articles and all the guides they put into them, especially the, the initial, the, the, the first articles they used to put out, which was mostly Pep's work. Um, I follow a lot of the work that actually Shopify puts out, which I think is interesting. And as you mentioned, we also have a blog. <laughs> so that is where we you know, basically put out a lot of our resources and guides and templates and stuff like that. Talia, I know that you teach classes in conversion. Tell us about those and where listeners can find them. We have two courses. Our initial program is called Emotion Sells, which teaches you the basics of how to sell with emotion, meaning how you can optimize your entire funnels using emotion and psychology and really getting to know your customers on a profound way so that you have a framework that actually helps you for life. Um, the other program that we have is the income engine, and that's where I show you how to build a funnel from scratch uh, using a step-by-step -step process that I've been using for many years now for myself and for my own clients. And both of those could be found on our website, getuplift.co. .co, that's right. Well, that is the time we have today, and a big thank you to Talia Wolf. Check out Talia's classes and consulting on getuplift.co. There's also a YouTube channel that has some great information if you search for Talia there. We'll include a link in the show notes. Talia, are there any other places where people can engage with you? Um, I guess Twitter, as you mentioned, and Instagram and YouTube. Thanks, Talia. What Talia shared here today is very well aligned with the OMCP standards and the competencies, and some of these things will be on the exam. 
I'm your host, Michael Stebbins, and you've been listening to the OMCP Marketing Best Practices Podcast. OMCP maintains the certification standards for online marketing industry in cooperation with industry leaders, just like Talia. Join us inside of OMCP to maintain your certification, get special offers, and engage with other certified professionals, universities, and in training programs that teach to OMCP standards. 